Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are. And as one small candle may light a thousand, so the light here kindled hath shone unto many, yea, in some sort, to our whole nation. Let the glorious name of Jehovah have all the praise. Governor William Bradford Welcome to this week's episode of Dead America. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and this week we're going to take a very unique look at our humble beginnings here in America. Sometimes we forget the past, and we've got to reflect way back to the very beginning to understand the roads that we travel may be the wrong roads. Let's not waste any time and climb into this week's episode of Dead America. This week, we're going to discuss the National Monument to the Forefathers, formerly known as the Pilgrim Monument. It commemorates the Mayflower Pilgrims, dedicated on August 1st, 1889. It honors their ideals as later generally embraced by the United States. It is thought to be the world's largest solid granite monument. Located at 72 Arlerton Street in Plymouth, Massachusetts, the 81-foot-tall monument was commissioned by the Pilgrim Society. The original concept dates to around 1820, with actual planning beginning in 1850. The cornerstone was laid August 2nd, 1859 by the Grand Lodge of Masons in Massachusetts under the direction of Grandmaster John T. Hurd. The monument was completed in October 1888 and was dedicated with appropriate ceremonies on August 1st, 1889. Hammett Billings, Boston architect, illustrator, and sculptor originally conceived the monument as a 150-foot-tall structure comparable to the Colossus of Rhodes. Shortly before his death in 1874, Billings reduced the size of the monument, which was to be made entirely of granite, quarried in Hallwell, Maine. The project then was passed to Billings' brother Joseph, who along with other sculptures, including Alexander Doyle, Carl Conrads, and James Mahoney, reworked the design. Although the basic concepts remain, the monument, which faces northeast to Plymouth Harbor, sets in the center of a circular drive, which is accessed from Arlerton Street from the east. The plan of the principal pedestal is octagonal, with four small and four large faces. From the small faces project four buttresses, on the main pedestal stands the heroic figure of Faith, 
with her right hand pointing towards heaven and her left hand clutching the Bible. Upon the four buttresses also are seated figures emblematic of principles upon which the pilgrims founded their commonwealth. Counterclockwise from the east are morally, law, education, and liberty. Each was carved from a solid block of granite. Posed in the setting position upon chairs with a high relief on either side of minor characteristics. Under morality stands prophet and evangelist. Under law stand justice and mercy. Under education are youth and wisdom. And under liberty stands tyranny overthrown and peace. On the face of the buttresses, beneath these figures are high reliefs in marble, representing scenes from the pilgrim's history. Under morality is embarkation. Under law is treaty. Under education is compact. And under freedom is landing. Upon the four faces of the main pedestal are large panels for records, the front panel is inscribed as follows. National Monument to the Forefathers Erected by a graceful people in remembrance of their labors, sacrifices, and sufferings for the cause of civil and religious liberty. The right and the left panels contains the names of those who came over on the Mayflower the rear panel, which was not engraved until recently, contains a quote from Governor William Bradford's famous history. Quote, Thus, out of small beginnings, greater things have been produced by his hand that made all things of nothing and gives being to all things that are. And as one small candle may light thousands so the light here kindled hath shone unto many, yea, in some sort, to our whole nation. Let the glorious name of Jehovah have all praise." Unquote. The overall scheme was designed by architect Hammett Billings. The 36-foot figure of faith was based on a nine-foot plaster model by William Wimmer in 1875 that was enlarged and altered by Joseph Edward Billings and a sculpture named Perry. The subsidiary statues were executed by area sculptures including Alexander Doyle, Carl Conrad, and James H. Mahoney. The monument was listed on the National Register of Historic Places on August 30, 1974, originally under the care of the Pilgrim Society. It was given to the Massachusetts government in 2001. It and Plymouth Rock constitutes the Pilgrim Memorial State Park. Although intended as national in scope, the Forefathers Monument is not a federal national monument. 
as understood today from the Antiquities Act of 1906. In 2012, Kirk Cameron released the movie Monumental, which features the history of the monument and the values of those it commemorates. We're going to listen to about 12 minutes of this movie, but I highly recommend that you go over and check out Monumental. This is an awesome movie. It goes way back in time before America was America, and it starts where the pilgrims were fleeing the oppression of Europe and that tyrant king that wanted control of everything. Let's go ahead and listen in to this audio clip. Now when um, the children of Israel going into the promised land, they crossed the Jordan River and God stood it on in and they walked across. And before the waters stopped parting, God told them to take 12 stones from the bottom of the river and put it up on the top of Mount Gilgal and make a monument. So that when your children ask, what are these stones? They will be able, you'll be able to tell them, this is where God parted the sea. And that's what the pilgrims left us. They left us a monument that not only gives tribute to what was accomplished here, but it gives us a specific strategy, a breakout of a blueprint of if we would ever forget what made America great, what made us free, we can go back and follow that strategy and it's right up on a hill a half mile from here. Right here? Right here. This thing is huge. It's 180 tons of solid granite. It's the largest granite monument in America and it's hidden on a hilltop overlooking Plymouth in a residential neighborhood. I've never heard of this. Hardly anybody in America knows about it, and yet the people of America put this together over a 70-year period, paid for by the Congress, paid for by the state legislature in Massachusetts, as a strategy laid out, you call it the matrix of liberty, that was given to us by the forefathers, by the pilgrims. And they, those 130 years ago, when they built this, wanted to leave this behind for us so that if we would ever forget how liberty is built, we would know what to do to regain it. This is how they did it. This is how they did it. Now, if, if somebody else wants to try another way, which is what's happening today in America, we're trying a thousand ways to turn America around, but this is the way it was done. This is it, the only successful strategy of liberty that has ever been carried out in the history of mankind. Well, let's walk through it. And yeah, yeah. We're, let's we're, take this strategy apart. What does this mean? What are they trying to tell us here? Where, so where do you, where do you well, start? Well, her name is Faith. It says so right there. And she is pointing her finger to heaven. Why? For God is. For God is because her faith is in the God of the Bible. In Jesus Christ. They knew that the only faith that could bring true liberty was a faith in the one true God and his Bible. And you see a Bible there, an open Bible. It's a Geneva Bible. The pages are opened up, which meant that they read it. And as they read it, and as they had faith in God, he gave them wisdom. That's why you see the star on her forehead. She's given wisdom to know how to live in this world. And all of the rest of these statues, each one weighing almost 20 tons, is tied to faith, because without faith, it falls apart. And that's the beginning of it all. Where do we go from there? 
from from here you need to go to character or morality and you'll notice because that's the internal liberty that is the internal liberty which is the beginning of all freedom she is called morality notice that she has no eyes that is on purpose because she's looking internal internal character the transformation of the heart first and then that brings external transformation and notice that she has the ten commandments in her left hand and the scroll of revelation in the right what would that signify the bible exactly that if you want to have morality there has to be a standard and more than that there has to be an internal transformation this is speaking of the need to internalize and allow God to change our hearts and our minds first. Because from in, Eng in England, you had top-down morality imposed on people. Do this, do that. You're moralizing people, but you're saying their morality started in the heart. In the heart. It had to be changed here. They realized Inside. just because you said you were a member of a church, like the Church of England, didn't make you a Christian. And you see this over on the side. The side statues give an explanation of what the meaning of this is for us. That's why we need the evangelist. You see the evangel here writing down the gospels. And there's a need for evangelists. Why? Because we need to have the gospel, the gospel of the great liberating gospel of Christ that says he came to set us free first. So this is completely contrary to the way the rest of the world had done it up to this point. The, the, the pilgrims are saying that morality starts internally with the gospel. The evangelist has to preach the message that transforms the heart, and then you want to do what's right, rather than being forced to do what's right from the king who tells you what good and bad is. That's it. Okay, what's next? What's next is, and you see the development of it, if you want to have a free civilization, you need to have a civil authority or civil law that will give a base for that freedom. In other words, You've got to have some degree of order in society. And that order, as you see here, is built upon law. The principles of God's law then are related into the civil law. And that's what we see here in his left hand. We also see his hand, his right hand is extended in mercy. Mercy toward those that, that he's dealing justice with. Why? Because this form of law has a degree of equity in it. You see this in the side statues where it's- Can we go see Yeah, yeah. Justice. She's holding the scales of justice with justice and equity, which, which means that you know when a crime is committed, it should be uh, cared for in terms of its punishment, the same for the rich and for the poor and for everyone else. There should be equality under the law. On the other side, we notice that this form of law is different than the laws of so many nations that are built on tyrants, that are built on, if the Aztecs wanted to cut your heart out, they just cut your heart out. Here, mercy, mercy built upon the base that he offers us mercy and grace uh, along with law. And in this form of law, there is that uh, tremendous mercy. So you have to start with faith, faith in the true God that produces the internal morality of the heart. You have a standard by which to, uh, to judge what good and bad is, and then you create a moral system of law to have a basis for a free and just society that can mete out justice when crimes are committed, but also extend mercy to people and, and show them grace. And then that gives you the freedom. Once you have a society that's built like this, now you have a civility in society. Now you can educate your children. Here, they could train them. And you see the lady here in the statue of education 
and she is opening the Word of God or the Book of Knowledge, and she has got the wreath of victory she's wearing, about a 25-year-old woman. She is educating her children, and she is sitting in victory. Why is she sitting in victory? Because she has trained her children up in the way they should go and prepared them so that the next generation that came after them would know the strategy of how to carry on the truth and carry on a free civilization. Isn't that amazing? And, and what's on her side over here? Over here, you see her training her child. And she has uh, a book in her one hand, and then he has a scroll where he is writing on the other. And this is youth, trained in their youth. It was the parent's responsibility to educate. And so this would be the mother training up a child in the way he should go. You know, what I think is interesting is that they had just left England and left this, this top-down government system. So when they got here, their idea of education wasn't send your kids off to a, a government school to educate them. Uh, it was the parents' responsibility to do this, particularly because their worldview was different than the government's worldview, which would have been, no, you're a nobody, you're a slave, you just lay down on your back and do whatever the king says which is sort of the attitude that we get in most governments today, is that you just do whatever the government says, whereas they're saying, no, it's our responsibility as parents to educate our kids and to teach them faith and internal, internal morality and to understand the importance of fair, just, and merciful laws. And it's passed down from generation to generation. And if you see on the other side, you'll see how the grandfathers played a role. For it's not just the father, of course the father and the mother are the key educators, but the key is the hoary heads. Those are the older ones who also have a role because you see the guy with the beard here, he's the old guy. And what do you see his left hand pointing to? Uh, there's a book and it looks like you've got the Ten Commandments again. Ten Commandments and the open Bible, okay? And so he, being older and wiser, he knows the commandments, he knows the word of God, and then he is pointing to that, and then on the other side, what do you see of him? That's the world. The world, right. So he is teaching the younger generation, both the, his daughter and his grandchildren, how the world works from a biblical perspective. And all of this leads to something, Kirk, and that's, you see the strategy building from the internal to the external, to the law, to education, to pass it on to the next generation. And what are they passing on? They're passing on liberty. And this is what is the result of living out that strategy. In his name, his name is Liberty. We call him Liberty Man. Look at this guy, he's a Liberty stud. hero. Now this guy is not a guy you want to mess with, right? And he's, uh, he's seated in Liberty. Okay, explain who this guy is. Liberty Man, the Liberty hero that he represents, is the fruit he is the result of obeying the matrix of liberty that you see on this monument. And he is seated in liberty. Now I want you to be careful to notice these details. Notice that he's holding broken chains in his left hand. Notice that he has where the chains were bound to his legs. Notice that, that he is now seated in liberty. He's got that good look on his face like, listen, I'm free, but I'm looking out defending my liberty, but I'm free. And notice the claw that is on his right shoulder. That claw relates to a skin that goes around to the left here, and you see a lion's head, an entire lion skin. That ultimately re represented the lion of the English tyrant back in those days. So he, so he has slain the lion. He's slain the lion, and that's what it says here on the left. 
Tyranny is defeated, and you see Liberty Man standing over Tyranny with his foot on the chest of Tyranny. He's holding Tyranny down. And again, the Pilgrims won this victory without violence of any kind, except living out God's principles. You know, one of the things that's striking me is the fact that this is talking about our forefathers, the Pilgrims, but this guy is not some wimpish little religious guy. I mean, this guy is a stud, right? Yeah. He, he's strong, he's yeah. looking out, he has just defeated a beast, and he's got a sword in his hand. That's right. And he's here to protect, right? That's right. He's here to protect his family and to defend the, the, the laws that they have made and ultimately to defend their values and their character, their faith. Exactly, exactly. And it shows you that if you do it right, you can be strong as an individual, you can defend liberty, and if need be, you can fight. You don't want to fight, but if you have to, you're ready. But the point is, because you've done it God's way, there is a long-term blessing that goes with it. This is awesome. This is it. <laughs> this is it. So Kirk, this is that recipe. This is that, that strategy, that matrix, that was what built America. This is it. And if we want to try something else, yeah, people can try other things. But in the history of the world, the one strategy that has brought more liberty, more prosperity, and more joy than any other is this strategy. Why would you go anywhere else? So as you can see, there is a matrix to fix America and set its course back to the way we were supposed to be. I highly recommend you going over and watching Monumental. This is an awesome movie and it will teach you a lot about our history and where we actually came from and why America was even formed. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of Dead America. I hope you sure liked that episode. If you did, please share, like, subscribe, tell all your family and friends, and hey, get involved, learn history. It's a wonderful thing. Until next week, I'm Ed Waters, Dead America, out.